0: Our anthem
1: today is a prayer entitled "Kitty A son." The words "Kitty A son" mean "Lord have mercy." The second part of the prayer is "Christe AA son," which means "Christ have mercy." Prayer concludes with a repetition of words, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. This prayer is commonly used in many Christian churches. It is almost always the first movement of Latin mass. Interestingly, the words are not Latin. They are Greek.
2: to learn about the music we're singing not just sing it through repetition so i thought especially for today since the words aren't even in english this would be a great day for the children to share with you what this song is about it is a prayer and receive a reading from the Word of God. Create in us a clean heart God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 31, and follows the prior gospel readings. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Our second reading is from the book of Amos, chapter five, verses 14 and 15. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. This is God's word to God's people.
1: Oh
0: So, we're uh, spending time during Lent to take a look at these core principles, these characteristics of discipleship. Has this been a, a good process? Are you, uh, are you happy with how Lent has gone? Anybody over here? <laughs> a few of you there, or the rest of you just being dutiful. Well, I have thought that it was... Um, a good process for us to try to identify what it is that we clergy keep um, mentioning about discipleship. What, would, what does it look like? Are there characteristics about it? And so we've, we've spent some time to do this and we've relied on, on Jesus and we have relied on Wesley to focus our attention that, that being a disciple of Christ is a person that loves God and loves neighbor And we've been saying that the love of God can be pretty easily understood or practiced, expressed through our personal devotional life. We want to have one of those if we're a disciple of Christ. And through our public worship, got to be showing up at church. That's part of being the body of Christ as a disciple of Christ. And we've been saying that another part of love of God and neighbor is that love of neighbor. And we do that through individual, compassionate acts, we talked about that last week, and this week we're talking about collective compassionate acts, which are acts of social justice. So, before we get too far into this, let me invite you to grab your bulletin and to join with me in prayer as we start. May the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, Amen So the insert today is focusing on the language on the back as to what I'm thinking acts of justice are, and on that front is that image again to help remind us to orientate ourselves as to as to what we're communicating about. So I want to to start getting into this issue by uh, sharing a parable. It's a parable of a village along a river, and I think it um, speaks to today's topic in a way that perhaps is a little more uh, graphic and emotional and rather than just uh, intellectual. One day as a villager was strolling along the riverside, he noticed a baby in distress, caught up in the current and floating down a river. He immediately jumped in the river and swam out to the baby, gathering the baby up in his arms, and he made his way to the riverbank, climbing out a hero in the community. Soon, everybody in town knew of his exploits, and they rejoiced. They decided to adopt the baby as their own. All was well. A month later, though, a, a couple of babies were discovered floating down the river. Again, good-hearted people jumped into the river and saved the babies. There was great rejoicing over the village. Sometime later, a couple more babies were pulled from the river, then more and more babies each day. Multiple babies in the river. The village was in a panic. What to do? Well, they organized rescue squads around the clock to go out, monitor the river, and save the babies. The steady stream of babies was met with a comprehensive rescue effort. Most babies were saved, yet some slipped away. The villagers could only do so much in the face of the growing crisis of more and more babies in the river. Now, this mounting crisis led to a new insight. At a rescue update meeting, a question came to mind. Why are there babies in the river? Well, they got to thinking about it. Why are there babies in the river anyway? What's going on with this babies in the river? And then it dawned on them, well, perhaps the better way to save the babies from the river was to do something upstream that might stop them from getting in the river in the first place. Well, I'm going to pause the parable right there and say, this is what we are talking about today, friends. This is what is meant by communal acts of mercy or of justice ministries. While personal acts of compassion, these things are necessary. Every baby pulled out of the river is a baby saved sometimes it is wiser in addition to the individual act to look at the larger picture and try to understand and then affect the troubling situation upstream at its origin. If the situation that leads to babies ending in the river, is remedied upstream, well, there'll be no babies in the river, or at least fewer babies in the river to rescue downstream. Are you getting what I'm saying? Is this making sense? You see the logic of the parable and of the analogy? Because I think this is what we mean by justice ministries. This is what our justice ministries are supposed to be doing, going upstream, changing the situation that gets babies in the river. Our justice ministries try to examine the problems in the larger view seeking systemic understandings and helpful remedies to bring to bear in the setting of the larger society, which, when in place, helps individuals in their daily lives. So while helping Rosa Park sit in the front of the bus, might be a compassionate act to a tired woman at the end of a long day passing the civil rights act worked so all african americans could sit wherever they wanted on the bus not just rosa anytime a greater good Marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge was a necessary element of pushing social justice to the forefront, bringing a vote in Congress and securing enfranchisement across the land. It would not have happened without people joining arms and hearts and compassions collectively doing something. It would not have happened if it was just me to you showing caring. It needed a collective effort of people of goodwill to bring about a change that would affect the me and the you, where we sat, where we could drink, where we could eat if we were people of color. That is what justice ministries do, affecting change at the collective level, at the societal level, that brings aid to the individuals. A disciple of Christ is called to acts of mercy, individual compassion, and communal acts of compassion, justice ministries. We are to address individual lives, and we are to address the larger picture, which if changed for the better, if properly righted, could positively affect many many lives. In truth, friends, we need to get beyond seeing Justice Ministries in their political context as some kind of political posturing. And we need to get to the posture of God for us all in how we order our lives. There's an awful lot of biblical support for this kind of ministry. It's, you see it in Deuteronomy 16 where the author writes, you must not distort justice. And then a verse later writes about justice and only justice you shall pursue. And Amos who writes about letting justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And then in Matthew we hear talk about How some folk are neglecting the weightier matters of the law, mercy and justice. How they're straining at the gnat, but they have swallowed the camel. Yet it's true. I think you'll agree with me, it is true that it is hard to understand what is demanded by justice when we're knee-deep in the thick of the mess. It's not always easy to puzzle out our way and it does seem that discernment seems to evolve. We sometimes we don't get it right the first time or the first generation, and and we think more clearly as as time passes. I think about the issue of slavery. You know, the Bible is uh, is tolerant of slavery. It's thought of as permissible in Scripture. Wesley was against slavery, he was clearly against slavery, but you know his, his right hand helper here in America, Francis Asbury, he calculated it a little differently and he was more concerned about church growth in the southeastern colonies of America and so he tolerated slavery, he went against John. He compromised the point of view of Wesley for church growth. Confederates would quote Scripture to justify their position. And so we fought a war and we slaughtered thousands upon thousands of ourselves. A contest of sides to determine where justice really was. Where was God really on this? It's amazing that that breaking apart the body politic and fighting it out seemed like the only way to go forward. We think of that now and we think, gosh, that had to have been madness. How could we have allowed such a thing to happen? We who look back at those times from 150, 60, 70 years hence. And don't we wonder don't you wonder, why did it take such hatred and death to litigate this issue of what God would want us to be like to one another? How could it be? Why was there no way to see Christ above the Bible on this or to see Christ beyond the self-interest or the regional economic needs. We seem to grow in our wisdom and in our discernment over time. We look back at those days and we say, well, there were rights and wrongs here, which maybe as you were living through it was a little fuzzier, but we look back now and we say there were rights and wrongs and that God didn't change God's opinion about slavery, rather God had an opinion about slavery and we changed our discernment of that revelation of God. We seem to grow in our wisdom and in our discernment as time passes. And because of that, as your pastor, I want to encourage you to think through this well. The way we are will be looked at by our grandchildren and we will appear pretty silly or wrong or we will appear courageous and right the status and rights of women is another good example of how we've improved our discernment the bible Well, frankly, ladies, the Bible would have you back in that uh, overflow room right now, and the door would be shut. You could hear it through the intercom, perhaps, or you could just wait until uh, us men filled you in. That would be the biblical practice. That would be our biblical practice. And her? (laughs) Are you kidding? What is this? What is this? (laughs) Yet we think this is a blessing, and we think worshiping together both genders is a great blessing, is the way it should be, is the way God wanted it to be, even if we did not understand that back in these early biblical days. Child labor and the laws that help regulate it or restrict it is another example of this. And I will say, frankly, that many people today are thinking we are living through this same kind of a thing with our understanding of gay rights and the inclusion of gays in the life of the church, that we're living through this sorting it out, trying our best, I hope we are, to discern uh, the right way, the just way forward. Some individual life problems can be affected for the good from the systemic perspective. Jesus calls us to be people who work for justice, who who love in merciful ways to one another, who work together with other people of goodwill and compassion to change social patterns among us that harm others that disenfranchise or marginalize others. This is part of what we do as faithful disciples of Christ. We link heart and arms with one another, and we work for the greater good, alongside working for the individual good. Because the greater good brings that individual good. And so, we let love lead enough in our lives that we look upstream. We not only pull the babies out of the river as they're passing by, but we look upstream and we ask the hard question, what's going on? And what can we do at that level to change all these babies in the river? We work with God in Christ to build the peaceable kingdom, to build the just world that God wants. We partner with God, and we let God lead us into helping to transform the world as God would have us. This is what disciples of Christ do. Amen.